0: And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, this is Sarah Trott. Welcome back to the fourth trimester. I'm here with Esther and I'm so happy to actually be on a recording for the first time in several episodes for anyone who listens regularly. I've been being a busy person in other parts of life, and so Esther's been holding down the fort. Thank you, Esther but I'm back for at least one recording. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully many more. <laughs> Who knows when I'll be back again. Anyway, Esther, it's such a pleasure to be chatting with you. It's the start of a new year. Uh, we've talked about having some reflection and how grateful we are for having this program and all of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we thought we could just look forward and say, it's this is fresh year. Let's just go through some of the basics. And we found a list of the the top questions every first time parent asks. So this This week, we're just going to go through some of those questions and hear the Esther answer, (laughs) kind of the Dear Aunt Esther column. (laughs) (laughs) And just see what happens. Also, listeners, for anyone who hasn't heard us before, please go to our Facebook page, Fourth Trimester Podcast, and you can search for that on Facebook and find us and like our page and join and go to our website, which is fourth trimesterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter so you could be alerted every time we publish a new episode or have something else great to share. We do have a donation page on our website. You can check it out. It's through Patreon, a dollar an episode, even if you like quit after $3, we're cool with that so yeah. feel free. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, Not that you will want to quit, but you know. So here we go. Esther, how are you?
1: I'm pretty good. And I'm happy for the opportunity to to um, do a Q&A uh, with you on the podcast today. And reflecting over the year, I'm happy to have been able to spend time with my family and all my friends here in the city. And it's a pretty good year. <laughs>
0: Life is good, Esther.
1: Yeah. Life is good. I'm actually wearing my life is good
0: t shirt today. (laughs) (laughs) We couldn't make it up, folks. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So here's the first question. It says, Do I have to breastfeed for a whole year? It's been six months and I'm kinda over it. Do you have to? No.
1: Of course you don't have to. It's this we're talking about choices that grown women can make. I think, as everyone who knows me knows, that I would be if if I were your doula. I would be looking at what are some of the factors that are contributing to your feelings of being over it. And I would be letting you know from my personal and professional experience that the breastfeeding relationship goes through multiple changes. And each time that there's a change, there is for some of us, most of us, I'm sure, a kind of a crisis of confidence, like do I really want to keep doing this? It's kind of a pain in the butt right now. I want something different for myself. I want something, I want a different relationship to my baby. This is kind of a drag. I'm feeling dragged down. There are lots of contributing factors. And I think that my take on it is at six months, are you still being well-nourished? Are you still making sleep a priority over other things? Are you still able to find the kind of restorative time away from baby if you're having any of that that really nourishes you in such a way that brings you back to baby feeling kind of plush and happy to plug it out for one more day? You know those are the things I ask parents first and I actually dive into the specifics with them so um, I would I. Would I be recommending you give it up? No, I wouldn't actually. I think that um, despite in my personal experience being um, pretty uh, undernourished and under-resourced as a new mom, there was a gratification and um, an augmentation of my relationship with my kids that was part of kind of sticking it out with breastfeeding and letting it get to the next phase and letting that phase have its natural history and trajectory and enjoying the parts of that, those that were enjoyable. But here's the thing, when I did end my breastfeeding relationships with my children, I definitely was doing it because I felt, in air quotes, over it. I felt that it was dragging me out too much and it couldn't sustain it anymore. So um, full disclosure there. Do you want to add anything, Sarah? Uh,
0: no, I just see it's so personal, isn't it? It's so personal. Some people um, don't have that much interest in it. Some people feel that it's an extension of their relationship and they appreciate the closeness and they breastfeed until four. So yeah. it's, it's really personal and there's no there's no strict guidance. And I think that the modern American woman thinks it's, you know, just while the baby's really, really little, um, but that's not necessarily true. You know, it can be for, for as long as you, as you want.
1: And, you know, you made me think of one more thing, and that is that, you know, depending on who you are and where you live and who you're surrounded by the cultural, you know, social, emotional messaging might be pretty negative when you're breastfeeding a baby past six months. And so, um, addressing that messaging would also be part of how I would be supporting somebody if they were feeling like, well, my mom doesn't want me to, or my partner thinks it's gross or, you know, something like that. You know, sometimes I think we need support for just how we feel about it vis a vis also the messages we're getting.
0: Yeah, well said. Yeah. So, our next question Do I need to sterilize bottles and pacifiers after every single use? <laughs>
1: My short answer is no. This is probably your first baby. My mom always tells the story of how she sterilized every single thing, every single use. You know, the pacifier. Popped out of my mouth, she sterilized it. (laughs) And then, you know, by the time she got to baby four, it was like pick it up off the floor, pop it right back in. Honestly, I'm somebody who is not anxious about the world around our babies. And particularly if you're breastfeeding, you've got this whole immune system you're sharing with the baby that's pretty plausibly going to help your baby address any bacteria and any viruses in the environment to the extent that it can, right? Um, So while I think honestly, yeah, wash it off, maybe with a little tiny bit of soapy water and rinse it really good and air dry it, I don't think you ever have to sterilize unless you feel that, your baby's products have started to become moldy. um, In which case, if they're glass, you wash them really good and you sterilize them. If they're plastic, it's my opinion, you should just throw them away um, and get new ones.
0: Right. So you're saying it's okay to not sterilize every single last time, but you definitely need to wash with some good warm soapy water every time. And for sure, uh, make sure there's absolutely no mold. Absolutely no mold. Uh, yes, correct.
1: Yeah. So, so when you do wash your pumping and bottle feeding and pacifier equipment, you know, whenever you get around to doing that, and once a day is fine with me. Honestly, like that's enough. <laughs> but when you do, if you have any inkling that this stuff has sat around long enough to start showing and you can see evidence of mold, then it's that it's too late. Sterilization, you know, of glass would be effective, but probably if plastic would not, that's just my opinion.
0: Cool. Okay. So what constitutes sleeping
1: through the night and will it ever happen? Um, I don't sleep through the night and I'm 59. So sleeping through the night is, um, is kind of a myth for human beings. Like we don't sleep through the night. Uh, some people seem to, you know, and, and claim to, and I bet their brains turn off pretty, pretty good and good for them. I'm I'm thrilled, but it's really normal to go through sleep cycles and to whatever degree become physically active during those sleep cycles. So, um, uh, I don't think we should set the bar at putting a baby down at seven and them not stirring until 7 a.m. That's never going to happen. I think that uh, taking some of the, the um, obsession and focus out of this idea that babies will sleep through the night is really, really important. And it's a cultural problem. Like, we really want our, we want to be able to shut the world off, including our kids at a certain hour and not be bothered. And I don't blame anyone for this. (laughs) I too would like that to happen. Um, But children younger than, I don't know, you know, my 10 year old grandson still gets up in the night. And I remember still getting up in the night. I remember being awake for hours in the night as a older kid. So I don't think expecting babies to do that is normative or healthy. Um, so I don't mean to just say, just give it up. But I would also add that I think often babies sleep is disrupted by their environment. And so it might be important to really do a deep dive search into any environmental factors that could possibly be ameliorated. And, um, and I also think it's probably really smart for parents to examine their own sleep habits to determine whether or not they are actually themselves very good sleepers Um, and what that actually means aside from the relationship to the baby. So you can think back three years before you had kids and think about how did you sleep, you know, and what was that like for you? um, Rather than imagining that the way your child's sleeping is a, is the, the problem now, As Sarah knows, and as I say to my clients as well, you know, if your family system really, really means that somebody has to get more sleep at night than they're getting in order to stay sane and productive, whatever your parameters are for that, and there is no opportunity to sleep during the day, then... That's a larger conversation. And that's a larger conversation that should be had vis-a-vis James McKenna work at Duke University and possibly Angelique Millette or somebody trained by her um, so that we're making really good decisions for, a, for our family and our family members, um, our babies in
0: particular. I don't think this is something that we're very objective about. If this is a hot topic for any new parents, we highly recommend going back in our show and listening to the several episodes we've recorded with Angelique Millette, who is a PhD and her whole career is focused on healthy family sleep and in particular sleep for for new babies and new parents. And we go really deep on the actual physical barriers that small, small humans have to sleeping for more than a certain number of hours without the proper nutrition in their bellies. Their babies get get hungry and then they're in pain if there's too much stomach acid. So actually trying to force a baby to sleep more than three, four hours at a time can be actually detrimental to their physical well-being. And I don't think, I mean, that's not something that new parents are really trained on. And I think there's a lack of awareness on. So please, please, please listen to those episodes if you want to hear more on sleep. Next question, because we're going <laughs> rapid fire. My mother-in-law says I'll spoil my infant by holding him too much. Is that true?
1: No. End of sentence. End of subject. End of, yeah. No. There's no such thing as spoiling human beings by too much touch, unless that touch is inappropriate and unasked for. Period. Period. Period, human beings are a herd animal. we're meant to be close to each other as much as we want. We go off on our little solo journeys, but we come back to get touch. It's physiological correct to be snuggling with another mammal most of the time. That's why people have pets because they don't get enough touch. You can't spoil something that's good. <laughs> yeah, no, you cannot. Yeah, and I have a, a sweet story about that. Um early on I was working with a lovely gay couple and the one of the dads was biological father via surrogacy and the other was his uh husband and not biologically related to the baby. Um but he was the one who quickly adopted caregiving for this baby. He wanted to do the diaper changes. He wanted to hold the baby and and all kinds of things and he was this beautiful big teddy bear of a guy and I was getting ready to transition away from my care of them and sat them down and I said, "You know, today's the day to talk about this transition and any questions, lingering questions you have." And he said, "I only have one question." he said, can I actually hold her too much? (laughs) And, um, like, am I doing something wrong if I'm just have her on my body all the time? And I said, no. And she's a baby who will especially benefit from having this closeness and, uh, good for you. And, Doesn't it feel right to you? I mean, do you really actually, like when you go inside, what's your own personal answer for this? And he said, oh, I don't think I could possibly hold her enough. (laughs) Um, And I thought, good for you. You already know, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure as a dad, he's had moments of ambivalence when he just thought, oh, I just would love nothing better than to put this little girl down. But um, we all have those moments. But it's not because we're spoiling the baby.
0: Yeah, and actually, we do know there's a real negative in, impact. I feel like I'm the negative one on this on the show for some reason. But we've heard it over and over again that there's <laughs> that there's a, that there's a <laughs> negative result if you don't engage and have eye contact and hold your baby enough. So there's like a right. there's like a, a line there where. It, you know, like there's not too much, but there is such a thing as not enough.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely.
0: The sh- yeah, the I, I can
1: tell the stories about that, too, but they're so tragic. I can't bear it today.
0: Yeah, so, no, we're going to yeah. move on. Yeah. <laughs> OK, <laughs> next. Um, <clears throat> my child doesn't exactly sleep like a baby. He's constantly flailing his arms. Is something wrong? Oh, I know. Nope. That's so charming when people <laughs> say sleep like a baby as if it means something other than waking up every two hours and crying. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And flailing around with your arms and legs.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I always like to ask um, my clients um, when they make that comment, I'm like, well, what was, you know, if the, if the baby is some, a, a baby that they biologically carried, right? Like, well, what were they like on the inside? And it's like, oh my God, they wouldn't stop dancing around. Right. So, yep. Nope mammals move a lot and, and that's how it is. And yes, are those, are there babies on the spectrum of being humans who are very quiescent? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the difference between how my son sleeps and how my daughter sleeps to this day is wildly different. Um, and I got to experience that half, um, uh, very, uh, close term inside and outside, but No, there's definitely nothing wrong with your baby. Now, having said that, if your baby is doing very rhythmic twitching, okay, you might, there might be a cause for concern, but just literally flailing around, no, absolutely not.
0: Okay. This next question, classic. Here we go. Is green poop normal? (laughs)
1: Yes, it is. And it can be normal for various reasons. If it's a constant, then your baby's not getting any hind milk. And that's not good. So it may be that you're not breastfeeding long enough Um so maybe your baby needs to cluster feed and isn't being given the opportunity. Maybe you've created an oversupply by pumping too much or some other way, and so your your milk is sitting in your breasts. You know, is being produced too quickly and sitting in your breasts too long, and so your baby is only getting uh, fore milk and not hind milk. There are various reasons. Um, if your baby isn't having a fever, isn't um, Um, you know, showing signs of serious discomfort, like all the time, not just say once in a while, um, then I would certainly want a pediatrician to weigh in on this. But I think, I think the best first answer is, if it's a constant, then it's because your milk is too it's too much for milk but if it's just happening once in a while and especially if it's happening in hot weather it's because your body is producing a lot more fluid to keep your baby hydrated
0: and are there colors i mean it seems like it's not that big of a deal if it's green are there certain colors that are a problem i remember um reading that like black or red or white. Like there are some colors where you do want to tell a pediatrician. Oh, absolutely. Not just tell a pediatrician, but they need
1: to know immediately all of those colors you just said, Sarah.
0: Like other than that, if it's like green or mustard or brown or whatever, those are fine. All of the above. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and they're likely as your child goes through developmental phases, they're likely to go through some of those changes during a, a growth spurt or Whenever, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, If your baby was continually, like if every baby poop was also mucusy, but your baby didn't appear to have a cold, (laughs) I would be concerned about mucusy poop. Not not if it's once in a while, but if it's like a regular feature.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up. This is a good one. If I drink a glass of wine, do I have to pump and dump?
1: <laughs> well, the first thing I'd say about that is it depends on how old your baby is <laughs> a little bit, you know, I mean, just like for us grown-ups, the amount of alcohol per blood volume is significant, right? If you're, if you're drinking a glass of wine in the first six weeks, you're giving a glass of wine to a small baby, Right. If you've got a big, fat, chubby, active six-month-old, it's a different proposition. And, the, and that circles me back around to, like, what are you talking about when you're talking about a glass of wine? I happen to know that a glass of wine technically is a cup. It's not three cups in a tall wine glass, right? So so in moderation, it's unlikely that you should have to, and especially if you're eating it with a meal. And all the things that you would make common sense of if you were able to. So, um, I I don't re- recommend pumping and dumping, but I it it depends on the circumstances and it depends on the volume. Yeah. What do, you, what do it, you think, Sarah?
0: I mean, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I would say. Neither am I. I isn't... yeah. I know. Uh, i would say talk with your doctor, but also. Um, you know, I think I've read that if you take some time in between in between feeding. So like if you've just fed your baby, you have a small glass of wine and then you're not feeding for another three or four hours later, it's probably passed through your system. I don't know, that's kind of an mm-hmm. intu- part intuition too. It's like if you've already if it's processed through your body, um, it's mostly gone. But if you're if you're worried, I mean, and you're and you don't want to get engorged and you just pump a little bit of milk and dump it out, I don't think that's the end of the world. Um, Yeah. Like, I think it's worse if you're stressed out, like it might be technically okay for you and your child. But if you're stressing out so much over it, that like that stress then is felt by your family, then it's probably not worth it.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's not worth it to drink the wine in the first place. Yeah. (laughs) And the fact is that you don't know when you sit down at a pump, you don't know if you're pumping out the milk that had the alcohol in it or not. So let's be realistic. Like, how do you know, right? If this is, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily going to be the milk that's that they're going to get at the next feed. It probably is, but we don't know, you know, so, um, so if it'll make you feel better, go ahead, but, you know, just, just be smart about it. And listen, the thing I didn't say at the outset of this is if you haven't, stopped your postpartum bleeding, then you have no business drinking alcohol or eating turmeric or, you know, like don't use blood thinners. Mm-hmm. You need to heal and recover first. That's the first thing. And you need to be well healed and recovered for several weeks before you start testing your body. Um, and alcohol is a test.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: give yourself a break. Yeah, totally. I mean, I know that it's hard. I know that people want to. I wanted a nice cold, three sips of beer on a regular basis. Just, <laughs> just give me three sips of beer. I'll be happy. But I for forwent it at the time. What are we talking? IPA and lager. <laughs> at the time, it probably I probably would have been happy
0: with yeah Sierra Nevada um, pale ale. There we go. Okay, so I'm going to combine a couple of these questions because they're they're kind of related. So it's, how many layers of clothing does my infant need to go outside and why are infants supposed to wear a hat all the time? Um,
1: it's a good question in as much as there's no good answer. Um, you should... A, infants don't have to wear a hat outside all the time. Do you think babies who live in the tropics wear hats? No, they do not. (laughs) Of course they don't. They'd overheat. And actually overheating is very dangerous to babies. I mean, babies can be kept warm all all kinds of ways, but you can't cool them down if they start to get too hot in an environment that's too hot, right? So be careful about overbundling your baby. Um, so, you know, if it's weather that, you know, you're going to have to put on extra layers in, then you should probably imagine that your baby needs two extra layers for every one that you put on. How's that sound?
0: Yeah. Do you agree with that, Sarah? I agree with that. One extra layer. That sounds sensible and hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they don't have to wear hats all the time. Yeah. But certainly if it's, if it's cool and, and or
1: windy, right, if it's not a hot windy day, if it's a cool windy day, um, then a hat's probably a really good idea because we lose heat out of our head. Having said all that, I lived on the beach in Santa Cruz with my first kid, and she was lucky to wear more than a diaper most days, and it's not warm there. It isn't.
0: <laughs> are, are you saying that was
1: a good or bad thing? Um, I'm not judging myself. <laughs> it's neither. It's neither. She survived. She's fine. She's a 41 year old adult. She's doing great. Okay.
0: So dress appropriately. Yeah. All right. So I, I, I feel like a lot of the stuff is, is, um, it's like, you know, it's not pure common sense, but a lot of it sort of is like, use your intuition. I think the second a woman ignores her intuition or a parent ignores their intuition, then you start, start wanting to fall back on these like black and white kind of rules, and the answer is like, well, no, it's not black and white. You don't have to wear a hat all the time.
1: No, and and you know, I thought of another um, response to that question, which I think is a really good one, which is, I think a lot of times babies are they cr- they're crying um, not only because they're probably hungry. That's the first thing, right? But often I think babies are, are lacking, not just for touch, but for actual warmth. And so if your baby's asking to be held in the environment they're in, right, then if holding them to your body and getting them a feeling of warmth is helping them, then if, you, if, they're, if you're outside with them having to do that, maybe they need another layer. So always have another layer if you're going to go outside. Not so that you can put not so that you can put them down necessarily, but just so that everyone's more comfortable.
0: Yeah. Cuddling is wonderful for so many reasons. Great. (laughs) It is.
1: I might have to become a professional cuddler. (laughs) (laughs) Esther.
0: We're gonna move on. Okay. (laughs) Can a newborn (laughs) truly have her days and nights mixed up? This is our last question. Do newborns mix up night and day?
1: No. They're biologically made to come out at night. That's how they are made. And they're gonna be like that for at least six weeks, at least. And they're not gonna radically shift at six weeks, by the way. They're gonna gradually move in the direction of sleeping like other human beings. And um, no, I would say. If your baby sleeps through the night as a newborn, I'd be watching that baby like a hawk. (laughs) Of course they wake up all night. Yeah. And they appear to sleep better during the day, but that's because everyone else is awake, wondering why they're not asleep. You know, like that's, that's the reason for that. It's an appearance more than a
0: reality. (laughs) I think you said it well once on a previous episode, where a baby might be thinking it's quiet, it's dark, it's a good, safe time, let's eat. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. The predators are gone. Mom's right here and she's not going anywhere. I'm going to take advantage. (laughs)
0: Yeah, by
1: design. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if there's anything to it, but probably the amount of light that they got during, uh, you know, day and night, previous to being born was very little, <laughs> very, very little. And so they're attuned to darkness in a sense. And some of their best meals of the day are after mom eats dinner. So they wake up and smell the smell, the food, so to speak, and uh, are ready for action.
0: So that's not going to just change suddenly. Right. Mm mm-hmm. Well, Esther, thank you for the quick rundown of top questions (laughs) on the minds of first-time parents. Uh, I'm really happy to be rigging in 2019. I'm excited for what this year holds. And so I'm grateful for everyone who helps us with our program and for all of our listeners. Again, thank you so much. We do this for you, so we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Don't forget to visit our website, which is fourth trimesterpodcast.com. hello again bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song simple and true I wrote the song I sing a song for you you can. I wrote the song, simple and true. I wrote the song, I sing a song for you.